So let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namo Tassa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Tonight I'm going to talk about the protective power of the Dhamma. And I want to start with this quote. The power of the Dhamma protects the follower of the Dhamma. So these words can be found in several places in the Buddha's in the Buddhist scriptures. And the meaning is quite straightforward and it doesn't much it doesn't leave much room for doubt about what is being said. But still some questions arise. For example, what is meant by the power of the Dhamma which gives protection? And how is the follower of the Dhamma protected? And from whom or from what is one protected? Or another question, when or under what circumstances does the Dhamma have the power to give protection? So tonight we'll have a look at these different questions. And so I will talk about some of the areas that have the power to, uh, to protect and where this protection works how it's actually working on a direct, personal, uh, experiential level. One of the sutta addresses this topic directly. And in this sutta, the Buddha told the monks to whom he was giving this discourse, uh, he told them this following story. So I want to read you this passage from that sutta. There was once a pair of jugglers who performed their acrobatic feats on a bamboo pole. One day the master said to his apprentice, Now get on my shoulders and climb up the bamboo pole. When the apprentice had done so, the master said, Now protect me well and I will protect you. By protecting and guarding each other in this way, we will display our skills, collect our fee, and get down safely from the bamboo pole. But the apprentice said, That's not the way to do it, master. You protect yourself, and I will protect myself. Thus each self-guarded and self-protected 
We will display our skills, collect our fee, and get down safely from the bamboo pole. And the Buddha commented that this, what the apprentice said, was the right way. And Buddha continued to say that to protect oneself means to practice the four foundations of mindfulness. And also to protect others also means to practice the four foundations of mindfulness. And after having given this explanation, then the Buddha said, protecting oneself, one protects others. Protecting others, one protects oneself. So how is it that by protecting oneself, one protects others? And it's through the cultivation of the four establishments or foundations of mindfulness that the, that the protection comes about. And then how is it that by protecting others, one protects oneself? And here the Buddha said, it's through patience, through harmlessness, through loving-kindness, and through sympathy that the protection comes about. So first, let's go to the protection of oneself that comes about through the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness. Or in other words, this protection comes about by practicing vipassana meditation, mindfulness meditation. And mindfulness, in Pali, sati, is a mental factor that we encounter in several groups of dhammas. Like sati as a mental faculty. <coughs> then we have sati as a mental power. Sati is also one of the enlightenment factors. And sati is also one factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. And as we have seen in the talk about Sati Zambojanga, the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, the manifestation of Sati or mindfulness is one of protection or guardianship. It means that when sati, mindfulness, is present and when it is well developed, it protects the mind from unwholesome mental states. It protects the mind from defilements, the kilesas. Let's take the example of seeing an object. And let's say that it's a nice and lovely visible object. When the mind is not guarded or protected by mindfulness, then 
this nice visible object will be immediately grasped by the mind and within no time the mind is firmly attached to that nice uh, object and doesn't want to let go of this object anymore. But then, if the object somehow by itself disappears or if it is removed by somebody else, then the mind tries to get this object back again. And uh, as a result of that, it falls also in another unwholesome mental state, that of uh, frustration or ill will, resentment, and so on. And so, as long as the object was still there, there was attachment, wanting, holding on, an unwholesome state. When it's gone, there is frustration about the loss of this object and maybe some activity trying to get this object back. So more greed, wanting. And so, without the protection of mindfulness, the mind is exposed uh, to the defilements. On the other hand, when the mind is guarded by mindfulness, then the defilements have no chance to creep into the mind. (coughs) And if they still manage to creep into the mind, then at least they are not given the free rein to do uh, whatever they want. So in our example of seeing a nice visible object, when there is mindfulness, and so with an attentive, careful observation, then this nice visible object is simply seen and experienced as a nice, pleasant object. So with that, the mind doesn't fall into attachment, holding on, or if the object disappears, uh, to frustration or uh, resentment. So there, the mind rests in knowing what the object is. It knows its feeling, It's a pleasant one, but the mind is protected from the arising of the defilements in this regard to this visible object. But sometimes when the power of mindfulness is not so strong, then when seeing a nice, uh, beautiful object, uh, defilements uh, still have a chance to creep into the mind. But... Nevertheless, because there is at least some level of mindfulness, then mindfulness immediately realizes that the defilement has uh, crept into the mind. And so then, with that, mindfulness can immediately advert to that uh, defilement and mindfully, carefully uh, observe it and note it. And in this way, this defilement will not be able to grow stronger or to take over, 
but with a constant, careful, mindful observation, then this defilement will uh, become weaker and finally disappear. And so in this way, mindfulness, sati, serves as a protection uh, against unwholesome mental state, the protection against the defilements. It either prevents the defilements from arising in the first place, or then when the defilement has arisen, it prevents it from spreading like a bushfire. And so, this protective power of sati, of mindfulness, that comes about uh, through mental development, what we practice in vipassana meditation, but which, of course, we can and should apply uh, all the time, both in our day-to-day lives. So, this form... uh, of protection is considered to be the most precious and most reliable form of protection. And of course it can be applied to all the four uh, foundations of mindfulness in regard to the body, in regard to feelings, in regard to the mind, mental states, in regard to mind objects or dhammas. So nothing is excluded. (coughs) Now let's go to the next point, to protecting others, one protects oneself. So how how can we protect others? And besides the practice of mindfulness, it is through patience, through harmlessness, through loving-kindness, and through sympathy. It's very obvious that through these qualities of harmlessness, of patience, loving-kindness, and sympathy, we protect others from harm, and misery. So with patience and forbearance, in many times we can avoid quarrels and disputes. Then when we abide in harmlessness, we do not inflict injuries on others. We do not harm other living beings. And when our actions, bodily actions, and our speech are suffused with metta, with loving kindness, then with that we show our sincere commitment to create harmony and understanding um, between people or living beings. And when we deal with other people, When we show our sympathy, or we can show our sympathy by trying to understand 
their point of view. And so in this way, we will protect others by not harming them, by not inflicting injuries on them. Our kind, compassionate, considerate actions are like an umbrella that give uh, protection to everybody around us. And by protecting others, we actually protect ourselves by not committing any actions that are considered immoral. And so, by doing so, we are not only free from the immediate results of our wrongdoing, but we are also free from the later results of this karma, of this unwholesome, immoral uh, deed. And so, to effectively protect oneself and others, we need some basic understanding of what is considered to be good, what is considered to be beneficial, helpful, and uh, wholesome. And in a few moments when I talk about uh, moral conduct, we'll, uh, I'll explain this. So, apart from mindfulness, there are other aspects mentioned in the Buddha's teaching which can um, give protection. But before I want to go into these other aspects, let's have a look what is meant by protection. So, as we use this word protection, it implies the protection from something or the protection against uh, something. And in a most general sense, it means the protection from danger, protection from harm, injury or fear, or the protection from something unwanted, the protection from something uh, frightening or scary. A very basic aspect of protection is connected to the way we behave ourselves in the world. And so this uh, concerns our actions of body and speech. So with our physical actions and with our uh, speech, we affect ourselves and others around in the world in quite uh, profound ways. So with our actions of body and speech, we can either contribute to harmony, to understanding, or with our actions of body and speech, we can inflict uh, injury, harm. We can create jealousy, mistrust, and so on. And the devastating effect of people's bodily action, verbal actions, 
manifests when we read newspapers or watch news on the TV, on TV. So what we can read in the newspapers or watch on the news and TV is mostly the devastating effects that uh, people's actions of body and speech have. So much suffering, so much misery, so many wars and conflicts that uh, spring up from unwholesome uh, actions of body and speech. I think it would be much more difficult to fill newspapers and the news on TV with uh, beneficial actions of people, good, helpful, supportive actions. But even if it would be possible, how many people would actually be interested in reading such a newspaper or watching such news? So, to be a decent human being actually involves restraint. Restraint in our actions of body and speech so that we do not hurt ourselves, that we do not hurt others. And because it's not clear to everybody on this planet what constitutes good, wholesome, beneficial actions of body and speech. So certain guidelines have been set up by many uh, religions or cultures all across uh, the earth. And in Buddhism, we know that the Buddha proposed uh, five guidelines as the minimal standard for a decent human behavior. And these five guidelines are known as the five precepts, the five basic uh, precepts. And by living up to the standards of these precepts, first of all, we protect ourselves. And at the most elementary level, the observance of these five precepts protects us from coming into trouble with the law, like killing, stealing, committing adultery, <coughs> or any uh, unlawful sexual activity, then lying and irresponsible behavior caused by taking drugs or intoxicants. So these are offenses which are punished by uh, the law. And on top of that, by maintaining a good moral behavior that ensures a good reputation among our relatives, friends, uh, at our workplace uh, where we live. And then on a more uh, inner level, keeping the precepts uh, leads to a clear conscience. 
So even if nobody else knows that we have stolen something or committed any of the other or broken any of the other precepts, even if nobody else comes to know about it, still we ourselves know it and so with that we uh, cannot have a clear conscience any longer. Such an act will cause uh, worries or remorse. Uh, people might be haunted by uh, fantasies and thoughts about that uh, immoral or unwholesome act. And so the absence of guilt or remorse leads to another benefit which in Buddhism is not to underestimate. So having no remorse, no guilt, having a clear conscience is very important at the time of our death. So then uh, with a clear conscience we can die peacefully. And so uh, this is much more favorable to have a good rebirth. So having a clear conscience, being free from remorse or worry uh, or any other unwholesome states of mind then protects us from falling into the lower realms. So to protect the mind from the coarsest levels of defilements, this can be done by keeping the precepts. And we know that the ultimate goal of the Buddha's teaching is the, com- uh, is the complete overcoming of all the defilements, or in other words, that's the attainment of Nibbana. And Nibbana can be at- uh, attained by practicing the path leading to liberation and this path is the Noble Eightfold Path. And this Noble Eightfold Path includes the training in morality, the training in concentration and the training in wisdom. And so the most fundamental of these three trainings, the the, uh, sila, training in morality, this begins with the observance of the five precepts. And so, in this way, the undertaking of these five precepts can be understood as the most basic protection on the way to final liberation. And so in the case of following the precepts, it is very obvious that by by protecting ourselves, we also protect others as well. Because by not harming them, we offer other living beings, we offer them fearlessness. That means when we keep the precept of refraining from killing, So then 
they don't need to be afraid of being killed or of being uh, tortured. Then, uh, the second thing, we offer them trust. So, by not uh, lying or telling what is not true, then others others don't uh, need to feel insecure whether or not the truth has been said. So with that we also offer truthfulness and honesty. By refraining from taking what is not given, by not stealing, we offer other people the trust so that they don't need to worry that their belongings will be taken. And by keeping the precept from refraining from sexual misconduct, we offer other beings harmony. (coughs) So, then others uh, don't need to mistrust their partners of having an affair. And for the fifth precept, to refrain from taking intoxicants, which could cloud the mind or cause heedlessness, with that we offer clarity to other living beings. So others don't uh, need to fear our unpredictable or silly actions. The observance of these five precepts is motivated by two mental states, commonly known as Hiri and Otapa. These are the party words. And they are commonly known as the guardians of the world. Hiri uh, is a sense of shame over a moral transgression. And Otapa is the moral fear of the results of wrongdoing. And the Buddha called these two states, these two mental factors, the bright guardians of the world. And it is said, as long as these two qualities can be found in people's heart and mind, then the moral standards of the world remain intact. However, if their influence wanes, if Hiri and Otapa are no longer present in people's hearts and mind, then the human world can fall into unabashed promiscuity and violence. And history books and newspapers, news, are full of such uh, deplorable acts. Stories of incest and rape, or 9-11, or the gas chambers during the Nazis, and so on. So, if immoral actions become widespread, Uh, around the world, then 
as the Buddha said, the human world is not so much different from the animal realm any longer. And it is said, if we cultivate these factors of Hiri and Otapa, we can actually speed up our way to liberation. And on top of that, by uh, having Hiri and Otapa, we also can contribute our share towards the protection of the world. We know that all forms of life are closely interconnected. And based on this recognition, we should make Hiri and Otapa the guardians of our own mind. And by doing so, we also become the guardians of the world. So by protecting ourselves, we protect others. And uh, protecting others, we protect ourselves. To cultivate these two factors of Hiri and Otapa, we need some self-restraint. Without a healthy degree of self-restraint, Hiri and Otapa do actually not exist. If we give in to each and every impulse of desire or dislike, then we will surely engage in actions which are either immoral or unwholesome, meaning uh, violating the basic five precepts. And so, to keep our precepts pure, we need mindfulness uh, along with wise attention to restrain ourselves in those times and situations when it is necessary. Then along with the precepts, we have another activity that functions as a, a protective power. And this is the act of going for refuge. When a, when a person goes for refuge, and in the Buddha, in the Buddhist context, it means going refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, then this person makes the commitment to accept the Triple Gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, Sangha as a guiding principle in his or her life. And so then, to bring one's action into harmony with these ideals of the Triple Gem, then the person expresses his or her determination by following the basic precepts. So, I have already uh, spoken about going for refuge quite extensively uh, last month before the Vesak day. So, I won't say too much uh, about it, but just uh, very briefly. 
So, in connection with uh, going for refuge, there arises the question, what need do we have for a refuge? And a refuge can be a person, a place, or a thing giving protection from harm and danger. And in the commentaries, the word uh, refuge uh, is also explained uh, with another word, meaning in English, to crush. And so they explain that when people have gone for refuge, then by that very going for refuge, refuge, it crushes, dispels, removes, and stops their fear, anguish, suffering, risk of unhappy rebirth, and defilements. So, in those talks about uh, going for refuge, we have seen that the going for refuge can give protection from anxiety, frustration, sorrow, uh, and so on in this present life. So it can give protection uh, from unwholesome mental states. And then the triple gem as a refuge uh, can give protection from the risk of an unhappy rebirth after death. And lastly, on the third level, the going for refuge gives protection from continuous transmigration in samsara, this uh, cycle of birth and death. And so this protective power of going for refuge to the triple gem uh, has to be experienced by each person, her or himself. It's difficult to uh, explain it uh, in words or on a theoretical level. And those who are here, you remember that story of Ajahn Sujito being attacked by Indian bandits. And they were quite clear that they were going to kill him. And so Ajahn Sujito uh, took refuge in the Triple Gem, started to recite the Namo Tassa. And with that, that Indian bandit just could not bring down the axe with which uh, he was going to kill Ajahn Sujito. So, another aspect of protection uh, within the Buddha's teaching. And these are the so-called four protective meditations. So, these four protective meditations are a set of four kinds of meditation that can act as a protection when they are properly developed. Our spiritual practice is often compared to a long journey. And in the same way, 
as we set out well prepared for a journey to a distant place so is a good equipment necessary for our spiritual journey in the same way as we take a map, compass, some food, water and maybe some weapons to protect ourselves for an expedition so we need these four protective meditations on our spiritual journey. These four protective meditations, they provide us um, with the direction and they provide us with food and refreshment and they also can act as weapons against uh, danger and harm. And these four protective meditations are the first one is Buddha Nusati, which is the recollection of the Buddha's attributes. The second one is Metta Bhavana, which is the development of loving kindness, Metta meditation. The third one is Asuba Bhavana, which is commonly translated as the recollection on the loathsomeness of the body or recollection on the non-beauty of the body and the fourth one is Maranasati which is the recollection of death so uh, also in talking about the refugees and the triple gem I have extensively explained the attributes of the Buddha which form the basis for Buddha Nusati the recollection of the Buddha's attributes and this meditation this recollection of the Buddha's attributes uh, can or lead to an increase and strengthening uh, in the Buddha's teaching. So it increases our confidence that liberation is possible. And we know the Buddha with his example uh, clearly demonstrated that the complete liberation of the mind from the defilements is possible and many of his disciples have proven, uh, proved that it is, uh, that one is able uh, to do so. And with the practice of metta meditation, with this we foster a feeling of benevolence and goodwill towards all living beings and so with the practice of metta meditation when the quality of loving kindness goodwill and benevolence increases that leads to a reduction of unwholesome thoughts such as anger aversion ill will and so on and with the practice of loving-kindness meditation we also 
come to see and experience that on this basic level we are not different from other human beings, we are not different from other living beings. All beings have this basic wish for uh, happiness and peace, or to live a peaceful and undisturbed life. Then the third of these protective meditations is Asuba Bhavana, the recollection on the non-beauty of the body or the loathsomeness of the body. And this meditation or this recollection can lead to a better or more realistic understanding of the true nature of the body. And so it can uh, reinforce our commitment to renunciation. One way of doing this recollection is by uh, recollect the body in its 32 parts. And so if one can see the body uh, as a bag filled with some blood, some urine, some feces, some bile, phlegm, uh, some flesh, some sinews, and so on. So then this can help uh, reduce our attachment to our body as well as reducing attachment to other bodies. And so it leads to a more realistic understanding of what this body is and what its function is. And so properly done, this recollection, this meditation should lead to more detachment from our body, of not being so overly attached to our body in its different expressions. And it should not lead to a feeling of disgust or ill will to our body. So if when doing this meditation our feeling uh, we feel disgusted or ill will to our, towards our body, this means then we do this meditation not in the proper way. And the last of these four protective meditations is Maranasati, the recollection of death. And so with that, on another level, we get a clear sense of impermanence, of our own uh, impermanence, that one day we will die, like everybody else. Again, in this regard, we have the same fate of every living beings. We are not eternal, not everlasting. And so with this recollection, uh, knowing that we have to part with this life, this should lead to a sense of urgency. In Pali, it's called Samvega, this feeling of spiritual urgency, like the understanding that we need to do something now, that we are still alive. 
that we need to do it now that we are more or less healthy and strong. Meaning to see that we need to purify our heart and mind now, starting now, not postponing it for later on. Because we never know if you are still here in 10 years' time. But we never know that in 20 years' time, when growing older, uh, we are still mentally sane. Or maybe we are ridden uh, by incredible physical pain. And so, if we haven't trained the mind properly now, that we have the opportunity. Uh, so then, it's going, be, uh, going to be too late. So, through these four protective meditations, we, de- we develop these different qualities, faith, confidence, kindness, benevolence, detachment to our and other bodies, and this sense of spiritual urgency. So, these four qualities or aspects that we develop are quite important on our spiritual journey. Without them, it becomes much more difficult to progress uh, on the spiritual path. And when we uh, want to include these four protective meditations in our practice, we can do so and spend about two minutes on each of these recollection at the beginning of our day or at the beginning of a sitting meditation. Take about two minutes to do some Buddha Nusati, recollect the Buddha's attributes or just recollecting one. Then about two minutes of loving kindness minutes reflecting on the impurities of our body and two minutes reflecting on our on death on our uh, impermanence and other people's impermanence and so when we incorporate this in our daily practice I found it very beneficial to do it in the very Uh, for a sitting early morning, then it's like packing our spiritual day pack for the day. And so we pack our spiritual day pack with confidence. We put in some uh, loving kindness, benevolence. We also uh, have something as an antidote against clinging. And we pack sense of urgency. And so, bearing all these qualities in mind, then they will protect us throughout the day whenever we face difficult uh, objects or situations. Then another area that can bestow protection are the so-called paritas or protective suttas. There are a number of suttas known uh, of having 
protective power. And in the Asian Buddhist countries, these paritas, protective suttas, are chanted daily in monasteries, nunneries, or even in the homes of devout lay people. And in Burma, there is a set of 11 protective suttas, and they are distributed over the seven days of the week. So each day is assigned one or two of these protective suttas. So for example, Sunday is the Mangala Sutta. Monday is the Ratana Sutta. Tuesday is the Metta Sutta, together with the Kanda Sutta, and so on. And so each of these protective suttas is said uh, to have the power to either avert certain dangers or, in other words, to give protection from harm. And the Mangala Sutta, uh, the 38 blessings, so this is uh, offers protection generally from danger and harm. It offers blessings. Then the Metta Sutta, uh, it offers protection from frightening beings or objects. It also offers protection from bad dreams and bad omens. Then one of the protective suttas is the Angulimala uh, Sutta. And this offers protections for pregnant women and their child. And it also facilitates an easy childbirth. Or the Bojanga Sutta is also one of the protective suttas. And as you have seen in the talks on the Bojangas, uh, so that offers protection against sickness and disease or uh, getting free from sickness and disease. And the protection of these paritas comes either through attentively listening to the paritas or by reciting them oneself. But it is said for these paritas uh, to offer or to manifest their power, the recitation or the listening must be done with understanding and confidence. It must be done with devotion. And as we have heard, the Buddha himself had the Venerable Junda uh, recite the Bojanga Sutta when he was sick, or the Buddha went to Venerable Mahakasapa and Mogalana when they were sick and recited uh, the Bojanga Sutta. And so, in all of these cases, and more examples that I have mentioned during my talks on the Bojangas, the so it was by carefully uh, listening uh, to the suttas that the people uh, got free 
from the disease or sickness. So there are several factors which contribute to the efficacy of these uh, paritas. Chanting these protective suttas is a form of satchakirya, which is an asseveration of truth. And so the protection results as by the, the protection result by the power of such an uh, asseveration. And at the end of the recitation of such a parita, then the reciters, nuns, monks, or even lay people, uh, then they bless the listeners with the words Ete na sacha vachi na soti dehotu sabada. And so this means by the power of this truth, by the power of the truth of these words, may you ever be well. And so whatever the Buddha said and taught throughout his whole life was done on the basis of loving-kindness and compassion. So whenever the Buddha's words are repeated when reciting uh, these protective suttas, reciting the Buddha's uh, words, so then it should be done with the same pure motivation of uh, benefiting sentient beings. And if it's done with this uh, pure uh, motivation or intention, then the words become imbued with a powerful purity. And this in turn can develop into a powerful protection. And especially so when the listeners are uh, attentive and uh, devoted to listening. And there is even another uh, factor that adds to the protective force of the paritas. And this is the actual sound that comes from the chanting or that the chanting produces. And so the sound of the chant can be very uh, soothing to the nerves. And so this can induce calm and peace uh, to the mind. And uh, a soothing sound can also bring uh, harmony to the physical system, to the body. So, when listening to uh, the paritas or chanting them oneself with uh, an appropriate or proper attitude, then the mind is filled with wholesome mental states. And when the mind is filled with wholesome states, at that time unwholesome mental states are abandoned or unwholesome, unwholesome states 
cannot arise at the time when the mind is filled with wholesomeness. And we know that wholesome mental states conduce to peace of mind, to calm and to well-being. It also conduces uh, to liberation. So after all I have said uh, in regard to the protective power of the Dhamma, it should have become clear by now that the protective power uh, cannot be attained by remaining inactive. It's not by leaning back into a soft chair and looking out of the window that this protective power will fall into one's lap as a present of heaven. Rather, this protective power of the Dhamma can be experienced by practicing the Buddha's teaching wholeheartedly, which means by applying the Dhamma to our life. And this needs to be applied to all aspects of our life. And as we have seen, this uh, can, done, can be done in several ways. There are different possibilities of applying the Dharma in our life and especially applying those aspects that bring about uh, protection. So this can be uh, being mindful, applying mindfulness. It can be going for refuge. It can be by uh, keeping the precepts or it can be by cultivating the guardians of the world, by cultivating the factors of Hiri and Otapa, or it can be done by uh, practicing the four protective meditations, or it can be done by either chanting or listening the paritas, the protective suttas. So, in any case, our wholehearted engagement is crucial to the experience of the protective power of the Dhamma. So, we'll conclude the talk here. May all of you be protected by the Dhamma by wholeheartedly practicing it and soon realize the highest blessing of it, the liberation from all suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.